Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod, birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By L.L. Bean, inspiring you to get outdoors. LLBean.com. By Celestron, offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans Shade-Grown Bird-Friendly Coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 579. Well, we've heard from a number of folks about the Google Doodle that appeared a couple of days ago, Thursday, June 9th. In case you're not familiar with the Google Doodle, it's kind of a temporary change of the Google homepage logo and meant to celebrate holidays and events and achievements. And the world of birds and birding was celebrated on Thursday with a pretty cool-looking bird-themed doodle. You can look it up on Google, for example, if you missed it. It was all to honor the memory of one Phoebe Snetzinger, who would have turned 85 on Thursday. She was the woman who decided that birdwatching wasn't just for men anymore. Sure, she wasn't the only one, but one of them. And prodded by an incorrect diagnosis in 1981 that suggested she would live for only one more year, she decided she was going to see as many bird species in that one-year period as she possibly could. By the time she was finished, some 17 years later, she had racked up a grand total of 8,393 bird species from all over the world. By the way, check out our Facebook page to see the last bird that Phoebe found, the elusive helmet Vanga. Of course, Phoebe Snetzinger not only broke the record for bird species recorded, but also proved to be an inspiration for women in bird watching. The latest example, the World Girl Birders, whose new Facebook group already boasts 1,900 members. Look what you started, Miss Phoebe. Extra, extra, read all about it. A couple of interesting stories we have for you on our Facebook page this week. Can birds really use their eyes and their beaks to follow the Earth's magnetic field? It's looking increasingly that way, especially according to new research at Germany's Goethe University. And a Toronto rock band wants to build a blimp for birds. It's kind of a crazy, complicated story, but you'll find it there on our Facebook page right now. We have more stories on our website there at TalkingBirds.com. And on our blog this week, adult birds use baby talk. Baby birds pay attention, and activity in the baby's brains may have implications for attention issues in humans. That's the story on this week's blog, easily found at TalkingBirds.com. That's our horn there. And yes, we are blowing it by way of mentioning our appearance on National Public Radio's Weekend Edition Saturday, yesterday, June 11th, with yours truly interviewed by host Scott Simon. We talked about a couple of historical events in which birds had a rather important connection. Birds like the Kirtland's Warbler and the Wilson's Phalarope and the Prothonotary Warbler. And events like the Leopold and Loeb murder case 
note at the time as the crime of the century and the Alger Hiss international spy case. You can find a link to the interview on our Talking Birds uh, Facebook page. You can also find it on the NPR Weekend Edition Saturday website. Still to come on our show today, you know, whenever we can, we get our friend David Clapp, international bird tour leader and avian expert extraordinaire, into our studio here as a guest. But it's not easy because David is out there looking for birds all over the planet most of the time. And today, even though he's quite close by, we still can't get him into the studio today, but we will connect with him by phone and discover the interesting local expedition on which he went earlier this weekend. Meanwhile, Mike O'Connor is also not far from our South Shore, Massachusetts location. He's down at the Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod, and he'll enlighten us about feeding hummingbirds a little bit later on this morning's program. And along here in just a moment, a bird who will urge you to consume more of a certain aromatic beverage is today's Talking Birds, featured feathered friend. Talking Birds is made possible in part by Celestron, a leading optics company offering binoculars and spotting scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron is dedicated to education and bird conservation and proudly supports many nonprofit organizations that share the same commitment. Celestron says, We care about birds and nature in our backyard as well as yours. Enhance your view with Celestron. Visit Celestron.com and discover more. If a little bird tells you to drink your tea, he doesn't mean it literally. He is merely letting you know that he's from the genus Pipilo. Well, Pipilo, actually. In the genus Pipilo, there's the green-tailed, the spotted, the canyon, the aberts, and today's featured feathered friend, the eastern, the eastern tohi. Now, if you're still consulting an old field guide, as I often do, you may be saying, hey, whatever happened to the rufous-sided tohi? Well, that seems like a fair question, and the answer can be found at the American Ornithological Union. They're the official bird name deciders, and a few years ago, they decided that the rufous-sided tohi is really two different birds, the spotted tohi of the American West and Mexico and the eastern tohi. If you've seen an eastern tohi, you probably remember it. It's a handsome bird sometimes known as the ground robin. It's just a little smaller than an American robin, with similar but more intense coloration and a habit of scratching the ground in the underbrush with a kind of two-footed backwards hop. The male eastern towhee has a coal black back. It's a warm brown in the female. And they both have brick red sides and a white belly and white corner patches on the tail that flash as the bird forages along the ground maybe to help stir up the invertebrates on which it feeds, along with seeds, and as it urges you from time to time to drink your tea. That was the Drink Your Tea song, followed by the call that inspired another nickname, the Chiwink, or today's featured feathered friend, the Eastern Tohi. 
Thanks again for being with us. It's our show number 579. And thanks for visiting our page, our website, TalkingBirds.com. If not, hope you will. And uh, we hope you'll follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at TalkingBirds. David Clapp, as we mentioned, an international tour leader. He was a leader of a couple of mass Audubon sanctuaries for something like 25 years and now leads those tours with Smithsonian tours all over the planet. And uh, we have captured, uh, kept, caught up with him. I'm not sure where he is, but he's out there on the phone somewhere. Good morning, David. Good morning, Ray. I'm actually here drinking my own cup of tea, listening to a toy in the woods. All right, a real one, a live a one. A real one. Not recorded. All right. No. Were you drinking? Alive and well. Were you drinking tea already, or was it because you heard the towie and gave the? Uh, no, I, w- I the... was drinking tea, and I think <laughs> the towie—they're very—they're very social birds. If you have tea, they'll come in. Keep drinking your tea. He's, right. he's saying over there. Yeah, they're—they're—they're they're, uh, they're beautiful birds too. We put uh, a, a post up with a picture and got a bunch of uh, folks saying that they were one of their favorite birds to see. They—they they are. They're—they're—they're they're, they're relatively tame. And they scratch around, you know, under your Christmas bush or under the oak trees at the edge of your yard. Uh, they really are a pleasant bird to have around. They're very docile. They're not. They're not noisy early in the morning, so nobody has a grudge against them all day. <laughs> uh, they're, right. Yeah, they're, they're great birds. All right. Well, you've been doing something. Well, I don't know if I could call this unusual or not, but kind of something special. You've entertained. Uh, if I have this right, a birder from Belgium by way of Spain, and you're showing him birds on Cape Cod, or you were. <laughs> I am. You know, Ray, it always surprises me because I think this is my personal hobby. But <laughs> when the Fish and Wildlife did a survey of what people in America like to do for their hobbies and their outdoor activities, gardening was first and bird watching was second with over 40, what was it, 47 million people, maybe some huge number of people with an interest in birds. Yeah. Well, it's it turns out that that interest is actually worldwide. I mean, all over the place. When I'm so lucky to be able to travel, and when I get places, there's always somebody who says, oh, let me show you this, or I had this in my yard. And this, this um, Belgian gentleman has been living in Seville, Spain, for nine years, working for the European Commission as an economist. And he has some meetings in Washington, D.C., and he just thought he'd, <laughs> thought he'd stop on Cape Cod for a couple of days and look for some birds he'd never seen before. So he he had emailed me a list, and I thought, well, I can find half of these anyway. And so I emailed him back and said, you know, give me a call when you get in. And we went out yesterday morning. Um, He talked a great deal about uh, European politics and the fact that England might withdraw from the the European Economic Union and all that sort of thing. Um, Really interesting, very broad discussions that I was actually not much of a part of, but he was very interesting to listen to. Um, and then we went and we found birds, and he was just like a kid. He was like everybody else when you <laughs> see something that's exciting, you know? Yeah, what what was on yeah. his list? Well, there's a, a sparrow that's very uh, shy and secretive that lives in our salt marshes. Mm-hmm. You have to really get to a salt marsh. You have to listen for it. It makes a noise that's a little bit like um, maybe a mouse or a tiny kitten sneezing. Mm. It's a little tiny noise. So once you find out that they're there... Then the darn thing never spits up on a branch and says, here I am, here I am. So you have to look around, look around. Finally, you'll see it crawling around on the ground like a mouse. Then you get to watch it for a while. It's called salt marsh sparrow. And it's got a beautiful kind of orangey ochre face mask around it. Um, and the rest of it's pretty sparrowy. But we had one yesterday that I have, I have never seen a sight anything like it. This bird was spectacular. Wow. And it was 
it walked right in front of us within 8, 10, 12 feet. It was, it was really quite amazing. Yeah, I just heard the towhee there, I think. Uh, yes, your, you did. From your yes, yard. Came right, yes, you did. Came right through. Hey, I have the, <laughs> we have the sound of a salt marsh sparrow here. Check this out. Oh, okay. Sound right? That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and let me let me tell you, with the wind blowing at the edge of the ocean, standing in the salt marsh with waves lapping, that's a hard noise to find. Yeah, I guess so. It's, but it's you, not. It's not like a towhee. But you found it. You're the bird whisperer, David. Let's face it. <laughs> I was very lucky. I was very lucky yesterday. I I enjoyed that study. I have never seen a salt marsh sparrow that closely, that well, wow. that sort of came presented itself. It was unbelievable. And you told your friend from Belgium this was kind of routine for you. Oh, this right? is nothing. Yeah, this is nothing. I, <laughs> <laughs> what else was on his list? Uh, well, he wanted to see piping plover. And so this piping plover, of course, as most beach communities know, are around. And mm -hmm. uh, there's one pair that we had just on the edge of Brewster that um, has chicks. And so we walked down there. We had, I think, three or four adults and two chicks. And the chicks are... They're maybe a week old. They're mm. they're very very cute when they're young, and they run on these little spindly legs. Yeah, um, a cotton so ball a, on sticks or something. A like cotton that. ball on toothpicks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's just yeah, it's a gorgeous it's a gorgeous little creature. And the adults are, I don't know, there's just something about them. You look at these birds and you think how fragile they might be, but these are birds that arrive back here in March with the wind roaring along the coast, mm. and they, it's you know. Anyway, he saw the whole family, and that was pretty exciting. Um, and then some southern birds. He'd never been in the south. He'd done some work up in Canada. So he had things like uh, Carolina wren and some other birds that were more of a southern population that he hadn't bumped into before. But when you, when you only get to the States once every two or three or four years, it's just fun to re-see everything. So mm -hmm. and we this had a is, great time. You were saying, you know, go, you can go any place. Well, one, of the, one of the many things people love about birding is that you can go just about any place in the world and see birds. But uh, this idea of seeking out local folks is kind of a thing, isn't it? It's been for a long time. It, it is. There's, um, there's a tremendous uh, set of databases in which you can put information. And there are also some databases that, that tell you where there's a birder you might be able to join. Now, sometimes you can track them down from the, the database where the submissions are made. You know, I saw, uh, like those piping plover, will go into a thing called eBird, and then eBird will say that David Clapp saw this plover, and if somebody can figure out how to find David Clapp, then they can talk to me about it. But there are other sites like uh, Birding Pal and some others that are around the world where you just click in a country. I mean, you might click in Athens, Greece, and up will come you know, seven names of birders. Some can maybe go out on a weekend. Some can go anytime. They're retired. Uh, but, yeah, you can track down people to take you out. I suppose it's a little bit like a you know, an art historian mm -hmm. going to the different museums and finding out when they do, when the docents will take you around, or even finding your own docent, something like that. Yeah. Well, you got but a yeah. connection through our, our, our friend Mike's uh, Birdwatcher's General Store, am I right? You did. That's exactly right. Um, somehow this all happened between the Cape Cod Bird Club, uh, Birdwatcher's General Store with Mike O'Connor, and, um, and me. And I ended up being the one to take the fellow out, which was I, my... I was a lucky one at the end of the process. But, um, yeah, it somehow, I don't know, I didn't ask Bert Savion how he located um, us, but 
He may have started with Mike, actually, and then Mike turned him to the club. I don't know. Well, Mike claims that everybody in the world knows about the Birdwatchers General Store, so that maybe kind of proves it there. Well, it's funny. I took this fellow into the store yesterday, mm-hmm. and we're walking around, and he's looking at it, and he's standing in there, just sort of sitting around in 360 degrees, looking at everything that Mike has for sale. And he said, there's not many places in the world that this would work. But maybe Britain is it. I said, well, could you do it in Holland? Could you do it in Belgium? Could you do it in Spain? And he's just sort of looking around. <laughs> I think, you know, not only is Mike a unique person, but that store is a fairly unique place. We'll have to talk to Mike. Let's get him on the show here at the end of the program today. Yeah, do that. He's a good guy. <laughs> All right. Uh, All and right. David, you're, you're heading up to Norway soon, are you? Yeah, a couple of weeks, three weeks, I think it is. I'll be in Norway. It's um, a trip that starts in Copenhagen, goes up to Norway by boat. We cut across the southern third of Norway toward the coast and then down to Bergen and somehow back again. Um, it's not uh, it's not a remote trip. So much of Norway is remote. Just, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> it's nothing but reindeer and, and boreal forest. Um, but anyway, this, will be, this is a gorgeous trip. There's tremendous scenery. The fjords are spectacular. The mountains are wonderful. Um, the weather will be gloomy and wet. Oh, it's just great. Can't, can't wait. Mm-hmm. Well, if you get a couple of pictures, send us some. I'll do that, Ray. I'll do that. Thanks for chatting with me. I appreciate it. Thank you, David. David Clapp here with us on Talking Birds, a great birder based in the area and traveling all over the world, including Norway. Talking Birds is sponsored in part by Chimani, providing free outdoor mobile app travel guides to plan and navigate your journey to more than 400 national parks, monuments, and historic sites. From Acadia to Zion, go to Chimani.com, that's C-H-I-M-A-N-I.com, to download your free app today. Up next, it's our Mystery Bird Contest in just one minute. Next time you're shopping for wild bird food, look for Audubon Park. It's the finest kind, and you can choose from more than a dozen selections, including no-waste patio blends and species-specific blends. And the folks at Audubon Park encourage all who feed backyard birds to follow these important rules to help keep birds safe and healthy. Choose seed made in the USA. Fill your feeders with no more than a week's supply of food. Clean your feeders weekly with soap and hot water or a solution of bleach and water. Make your windows visible to birds to prevent crashes. Place feeders away from windows and safe from predators. Offer water for drinking and bathing and refresh it daily. Keep cats indoors. Reduce your lawn, mow it less often, and skip the fertilizers and pesticides. Plant native shrubs and trees. And keep outdoor lights as dim as possible and use them only when necessary. Simple rules for healthy birds from the folks at Audubon Park Wild Bird Food. And for a complete list of backyard bird feeding tips, visit the Discovery Center at AudubonPark.com. That's AudubonPark.com. On our Mystery Bird Contest, if you're not hearing our show live on Sunday morning and think you're unable to enter the contest, well, think again because you can hear our show live every week, every Sunday morning online, no matter where you are. Just go to TalkingBirds.com and see how to do it. It is very easy. Our number here on the Mystery Bird Contest in which we urge you to call as soon as you can, is 781-837-4900, 781-837-4900. Our prize is the Droll Yankees A6F Classic Sunflower Seed Feeder. This is the original iconic classic tube feeder invented by Droll Yankees founder Peter Killam in 1969. More than one million of them have been sold But we're not selling one. We're giving one away here in our Mystery Bird Contest, along with 
this beautiful bonus prize, some of our favorite coffee. It's a 12-ounce bag of Birds and Beans, shade-grown, bird-friendly coffee. It's the kind to drink if you care about saving birds, and we're going to give away a 12-ounce bag of that coffee this morning. Our mystery bird contest, here is the sound of our mystery bird. Our mystery bird is a small songbird with a black mustache, a yellow forehead, white underparts, and a reddish-brown streak along its sides. That's a good clue there. Our bird, which winters in the tropics and breeds in much of Canada and the U.S. upper Midwest and New England, eats insects and arthropods arthropods, and sometimes fruit. That would be our mystery bird. What do you think it is? Take a guess or tell us directly. No correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. 781-837-4900 is the number. 781-837-4900. Our prize, the Droll Yankees A6F Classic Sunflower Seed Feeder, the original, the first tube feeder in the world. In our bonus prize, a 12-ounce bag of birds and beans, shade-grown, bird-friendly coffee. Meanwhile, that guy, Mike, we've been talking about is going to join us here. It's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. I'm Katie Fallon, author, wildlife rehabilitator, and bird watcher. Some of my favorite songbirds are in trouble. The cerulean warbler, the wood thrush, the golden-winged warbler. Fewer and fewer of these birds return each spring to our forests and farms. The perils they face seem almost insurmountable. Deforestation, loss of habitat, and climate change. The good news is that we can help these migratory birds by drinking coffee certified as bird-friendly. The bird-friendly label means that the coffee beans were grown in a way that protects important habitat in the tropics. Bird-friendly coffee shrubs grow in the shade of the forest's canopy. The trees above the coffee provide homes for overwintering warblers, thrushes, and vireos. A bird-friendly farm also protects the soil and water and creates a healthy working environment. Birds and Beans brand coffee is certified as bird-friendly, organic, and fair trade. This rich, flavorful coffee is a win for the coffee drinker, a win for the farmers, a win for the birds, and a win for the planet we share. Let's check in with that that guy down at that store that people even in Belgium know about. That would be Mike O'Connor and the really famous Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Good morning, Mike. Internationally famous, right? It's internationally famous. Well, not now. just Belgium? No, <laughs> well, that Belgium is international. <laughs> yeah, that's well, it's true. But I mean, you've, you've got all the other countries too. I guess yeah, the, the, the guy, the, the guy sent me an email, and he wanted me to show him some birds. And, and I and I kind of passed through the Cape Cod Bird Club over to David Clapp because don't tell David this, but he's actually a much better birder than I am. Really? I don't want him to know that, but mm-hmm. I know the guy would have a better time than David Clapp. So I kind of passed it on. Plus, I was out of town and I didn't even get to meet him when he came oh. in with David, which is kind of too bad. Oh, too bad. Well, well, I hope David's not listening. So no, no, right, so. right. <laughs> no, no. I'm sure he's going back to bed. <laughs> well, you. Uh, we want to talk about uh, hummingbirds uh, today and, the, and this whole idea that, that uh, I guess some people, at least in western Massachusetts where you were just recently, are, are still kind of insisting on putting uh, red-colored um, uh, 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 liquid in, the, in those uh, hummingbird feeders and not, not necessarily a cool thing to do. Well, that's right. That's the reason I didn't see David and the, the Belgium gentleman because I, I was out in the western part doing some birding and i was shocked you know i drive around and i'm a little bit nosy and as i go from place to place i see look for bird feeders and i 
hummingbirds are popular out there. I see a lot of hummingbird feeders, but a ridiculous amount that still have red dye in them or use a liquid with red dye, which hmm. totally isn't necessary and it may not be good for the birds. Most commercial hummingbird feeders have way too much, well, not too much red, but they have plenty of red on them because they, they're built to attract the hummingbirds. Red is a, an important attraction for hummingbirds. So the commercial hummingbird feeders put plenty of red on this, so it's not necessary. And there's some concern that it may not even be good for the birds in the long run. I know your friend um, Julie Sukafus wrote a blog about that. Mm-hmm. And according to some, some analysis, that they may ingest more as much as 17 times more than a regular, regularly recommended amount of this red dye food coloring. Mm. And it doesn't attract the birds at all because the red on the feeder does. It's really just to sell the product. And basically, you don't need to buy the product. Um, you know, I don't use it myself. I mean, I sell a lot of it, because not the red dye stuff, but you can buy it in clear. And I sell a lot of that because people insist on it, but I never use it. I just make my own, which is just take a cup of water, put a quarter of a cup of sugar in it, stir it around, and that's it. And it might cost you a dime to make that where... You go to a you know rip off commercial guy like me, it might cost you a couple of bucks. So, you... <laughs> and pretty much every feeder you would get for hummingbirds has the red on it, right? Plenty Unless of it's red, more than red. Job. And the other part yeah. is you want to see the humming. You want to change the solution regularly, and you want to see when bugs get in it or it starts to get a, a, like a milky color when it's turning. And you put coloring in it, and you can't see that. So it's really a disadvantage at, at many levels. And um, like I said, you know they'll sell it to you. And I don't, like I said, I don't sell the colored kind, but I sell the clear kind. But even that isn't necessary. You can just make your own. You know, get get, get cranking, and, and you'll save yourself some money. And um, and and then then I can't go to Belgium because I won't have enough money. But yeah, that's the way it's going. Yeah, but you still got to buy the feeder from from you. Though. That's the point that's we're talking. Right? I like that right. one. I like your attitude. See you next week, Mike. Thanks you for the good yeah, advice, bye-bye. Mike O'Connor, down there at the Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod. He hung up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest trying to identify this mystery bird. I talked to David Clapp about this earlier, and he said, hmm, that's a tough one. Yeah, kind of is. So, But we're giving some good clues here. It's a small songbird with a black mustache, a yellow forehead, white underparts, and a reddish-brown streak along its sides. Our bird, which winters in the tropics and breeds in much of Canada and the U.S. upper Midwest and New England, eats insects and other arthropods and sometimes fruit. What is it? 781-837-4900 is the number to call. 781-837-4900. And uh, Hazel is in Hanson, Massachusetts, and I believe she is on the line there now. Good morning, Hazel. Good morning, Ray. How are you? I'm well. How are things in Hanson? Fantastic. Beautiful day. All right. It is a beautiful day here in eastern Massachusetts. And how about our mystery bird, Hazel? What do you think? I'm going to guess a northern flicker. A northern flicker. Uh, no, quite a bit smaller than a northern flicker. You, you're probably thinking about that mustache. Yes. Yeah. All right. We'll make the northern flicker a mystery bird another time. Okay, thanks a lot. Thank you, Hazel. Have a great week. You too. Not a northern flicker? What is it? Our mystery bird, 781-837-4900. Kathy is right here in Marshfield, Massachusetts. Good morning, Kathy. 
Hi, good morning. Good morning. How are things? What's going on and how's it's, our... It's very windy down here. Very windy. Okay, Near the beach. Oh, extremely windy, yeah. All right, didn't realize it was so windy. That's a kind of an ocean breeze, I guess, coming it's in. Coming off, it? It's coming off the land. Coming off the land, okay. Yeah. Is that an onshore breeze or offshore? I always get them I mixed up. I think it's an offshore. <laughs> I never, <laughs> I've got to find a way to re- remember that because so far I'm not able to. Well, anyway, how about our mystery bird, uh, Kathy? I'm going to guess the cedar waxwing. Cedar waxwing. It's got some no. of those colorations that we described there, but not a cedar mm-hmm. waxwing and uh, smaller yet than, than that bird as well. Okay. Smaller than that? Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. Thank you, Kathy. All right. All right. 781-837-4900. We're uh, getting close to being out of time, but let's see what we can do. We have Gail somewhere in North Carolina. Uh, good morning, Hi. Gail. Good morning. Good morning. How are things in NC? Beautiful, but getting very warm. Very well. I bet. I bet it's getting warm down there. What about our mystery bird there? Um, where did it go there? Is, I, um, is it a, te- a chestnut sided warbler? Let me check. Uh, I believe it is a chestnut sided warbler. <laughs> yes, indeed. It is. Nicely done. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> you sound surprised. I am. All right. Well. <laughs> Nice work. Nice job. We'll send you that beautiful Droll Yankees classic sunflower seed feeder and a bag of birds and beans shade-grown bird-friendly coffee. Thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you, Gail. Thank you. We're out of time for our show this morning. What's it like traveling from the east coast of the U.S. to the west coast observing birds by bicycle? We'll find out next week when birdsong expert and intrepid adventurer Don Krudsma joins us here on Talking Birds. Executive producer Mark Duffield, associate producer Debbie Bleacher, engineer Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. By L.L. Bean. Inspiring you to get outdoors. By Celestron. Offering binoculars and scopes for birders of all levels. Celestron.com. By Birds and Beans shade-grown bird-friendly coffee. Birdsandbeans.com. And by Chimani. Visiting a national park? Let Chimani guide you. Chimani.com.